Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. Before we get into this breakup story, because so many of you are going through what I call an expired relationship, and of course that's a reframe, I don't want to minimize what you went through or two people giving hearts and souls to something, um, because some people have a problem with the term expired, relationships are not like milk, I get it, but if you're going through a breakup or an expired relationship... One of the things that really has helped me is just hearing other people's stories. So I'm going to share with you a story. It's a client story, of course, anonymous. But before I do, just want to remind you, if you're tired of ads on my podcast and you want four bonus episodes a month, um, you can sign up for my premium. It's super inexpensive. It's like, I think it's like five bucks a month. Just go to theangrytherapist.com forward slash premium. Theangrytherapist.com forward slash premium. Okay, this story is called Help, I'm Dying. Spencer called the suicide hotline twice. Although he never got along with his mom and everyone knew that, they shared a special kind of closeness no one could truly understand. Well, unless you were also raised by a young single mom with no tools who wasn't ready for a quote-unquote difficult son. What formed was a sticky kind of dysfunctional relationship bond that leads to Al-Anon meetings as an adult. And that's why, after two years, he was still struggling to get up in the mornings, which is why our sessions were over FaceTime. My least favorite way to see clients, by the way. I prefer coffee shops or a walk and talk around the lake here in Silver Lake, California, But telehealth is a real thing these days. That's the standard now. When I started my practice, it was controversial and forbidden. It's why they called me unconventional. And it's also why I called myself a coach instead of a therapist, because therapists weren't supposed to see clients online. They also weren't supposed to post their feelings and struggles as they were going through a divorce and starting life over again. Okay, the truth, wa- the truth wasn't that I was ahead of my time. I was broke and I couldn't afford an office. And that's why I met my clients in coffee shops and at the lake. Anyway, none of Spencer's friends understood why he took his mom's death so hard, except for Love Thomas. Yes, that's her real name. Her parents were hippies. Also, alcoholics. She could relate to feeling alone. The big loss in her life was Fred the Hamster when she was around 11. But who's to judge the depth of any relationship, right? Hamster or human, it doesn't matter. She knew exactly what Spencer was going through. Although Love lived in another state, she was there for him. Like any good friend, phone, FaceTime, daily text. And he was also there for her as she was going through a loss of her own, a breakup with her quote-unquote college uh, sweetheart of four years. He wasn't that sweet, actually. He had, been cheating, he had been cheating on her for most of their relationship. Two friends grieving a major loss in their lives, plus nosebleed concert tickets to a pink show. 
Two friends grieving a major loss in their lives, plus nosebleed tickets to a pink concert, and it was about to happen. After they kissed, things moved pretty quickly. The trust and friendship tracks were laid already since they've been quote-unquote buds forever. The train was already moving. They just needed to jump on, which they did. For him, it was actually a plane. He moved to San Francisco where he would work remotely and they could try to do what Harry and Sally couldn't. It was an easy relationship. They rarely fought. He was good to her and made her feel seen, something she hadn't felt in a very long time. And she was the textbook good girlfriend, supportive, caring. They had sex two times a week without fail. It helped that uh, she had made calendar invites, of course. This was all before she created and sold her startup, a beauty line, back when she was just a blogger. And she recalls her first exhibit at a wellness convention, feeling insecure and embarrassed, thinking no one would buy her candle holders that made inspirational quotes literally glow. She wanted to pack up and leave before the event even started, but Spencer stopped her and encouraged her to stay and give her products a chance. He grabbed her collection and started selling them on the floor, something that was out of his comfort zone because he was a true introvert. And in that moment, Love realized how lucky she was. Spencer was the first person to believe in her. So then why, after three years, did she end it abruptly? No warning, no infidelity, no let's work on this, no couples counseling. They were about to get a hamster, the first step toward let's really do this. Love didn't have an explanation, at least not for Spencer, because she didn't want to hurt him. But she told her therapist, a.k.a. me, she knew exactly why she broke up with him, or at least she thought she did. We all think we know until we dig deeper and realize what's really going on. Technically, I wasn't seeing them as a couple because generally speaking, you're not supposed to see clients as a couple if you're seeing them individually. The couple is one unit. I was seeing Spencer for the sudden death of his mother and he referred me to his acquaintance, Love Thomas, for her abandonment issues. Two months into seeing, two months into me seeing them separately as clients, they go to a concert and the roller coaster happens. Now they're talking to me about their issues with each other instead of what they originally came to see me for. This happens all the time in therapy. It's like when you take your car in for an oil change and find out there's 5,000 other pressing things that need to be fixed. Also, it's hard to draw lines when you're having a conversation about life. At what point do you say we can talk about this, but we can't talk about that, right? In therapy school, we are taught to do that, but there's a difference between theory and practice. I actually allow my clients to talk about whatever they want. Everything falls under the umbrella of life. Issues are issues. Anxiety is anxiety. It doesn't matter where it comes from, and everything ripples into everything, or at least that's my approach. Speaking of anxiety, I was going through my own shit. Another breakup. This one was unlike anything I've ever gone through. I don't know if you would even call it a relationship. We were only together for about three months. It was the first time in my life 
I've ever had a full-blown panic attack. I swear I thought I was fucking dying. Fuck that pussy. Yeah, that's right. Fuck that pussy. She screamed, whispered. The tone of her facial expression was a scream, but she whispered it in my ear. I was doing my best to follow her orders, but there was a single bead of sweat rolling down my ear. How, how does sweat get inside your ear? I mean, unless you're in a sauna, does that ever happen? But it was in my ear and sliding down my canal. So half of me was turned on and the other half was cringing. I cocked my head sideways to stop the bead of sweat. It must have looked like some kind of weird twitch I do when I get hard. But she didn't break character. She was determined. I could see it in her face. You know how sometimes in life you find yourself in a what-the-fuck-impossible situation? Like in movies, when the protagonist accepts a friend's casual request to get burgers and suddenly he's high as a kite, literally riding a tiger? Well, this was my tiger moment. Half hard and naked, fresh from a breakup, with sweat in my ear and bloody shins. Yes, I forgot that part. Not from a hike. There were two... <laughs> there were... Um, Two tiny bent nails coming out of the wooden bed frame that kept nicking at my shins. I couldn't stop. It's not cool to interrupt when someone is doing two things. One, asking for your hand in marriage. Or two, being filthy with you. Talking dirty was her way to get me to stay. Or maybe residue rage from me breaking up with her only two hours ago on a mountaintop after our morning hike. In her hometown on Christmas Day, I know, I know, that sound, I sound like a monster, but it wasn't an impulsive decision, I swear. There was an unfolding. I was pushed into a corner. You see, less than a month ago, I was in a long-term relationship, three years deep, and we were living together, shared grocery lists, folded each other's laundry, and raising a bird I was afraid to hold. His name was Banksy, by the way. We had built a life, we rarely fought, then one day, while having drinks at a random bar in Park City, after a fun day of mountain biking, we both noticed a painful emptiness. You know, sometimes you're just with your partner and there are no words, but you both feel what you're feeling and you can't explain it, or maybe you're afraid to, but there's an emptiness. That's the emptiness we felt. And it felt like someone knocked the wind out of our relationship. She said something like, I'll never, and I won't never forget it, uh, I don't like your hair. What do you mean you don't like my hair? You're the one who said I should grow it long. After a quick shot and a pause, she said it's hard for me to be intimate. Okay, there it, there it was. The hair comment was just a way in, like a child throwing a toy car at your face to get your attention. By the way, if you know me, hair is really important to me. It's been important to me since... The 80s, when I was uh, blow-drying it with Aquanet hairspray. All right. Yeah, I've been kind of craving a deeper connection, I admitted. There was a purity and innocence to our friendship, like we were childhood friends building forts and hiding from the world, passing notes back and forth, and dreaming about who we were going to be when we grew up. There was a closeness there I never shared with anyone else up until this point. It was pure then in the bedroom, we were like porn stars, dirty and dark and ropes and toys and closet sex, literally. 
um, there was a huge missing piece in between. This was a deeper connection that I was thirsty for. The intimacy she struggled with. People who struggle with intimacy have usually had a lot of trauma in their lives. Most of the time, sexual trauma. I know this is her story, which means there was work to be done on both of our ends. Because the truth was, I don't know if I ever experienced true intimacy either. I may not have had childhood trauma, but I do have addiction in my blood. My drug of choice would be sex and love. And that can be a barrier to intimacy as well, as well as trauma. Sometimes even a greater bar- a barrier. A few months after that empty silence in Utah, I was on Craigslist looking for an apartment. I made no effort trying to repair the relationship. I never did couples counseling, or we never did couples counseling. Like I encouraged my clients to do, I just left. And she didn't stop me. We both let it happen. We made it complicated. What made it complicated was this new girl I was dating. And um, she knew Patricia, and they were friends. Not good friends, but they knew each other. So when Patricia found out, by the way, it's not her real name. It sounds like, <laughs> I don't know why I picked that name. It sounds like um, someone's grandma. <laughs> when Patricia found out I was now dating our mutual Pilates influencer friend, the one she went on a retreat with less than a year ago, she thought I'd been cheating with her the entire time and left. She thought I had been cheating and that I left to be with, um, I'm going to call her Miss Toe Taps. I googled a um, I googled what's a, a popular move in Pilates because I don't do Pilates and toe taps came up so that that's what I named her in this story. Anyway, that wasn't the case. Me and toe taps were buds, not like Spencer and Love buds or me and Patricia buds. More like two kids who went to like rival schools. I lived in Silver Lake and she lived in Venice, and uh, we had like sports in common. To be honest, yes, I did find her attractive. Everyone did. She was an upside-down poster. She was known for her handstand skills. But there was no infidelity. I didn't intend to kiss her that night at the beach. She had just ended a relationship. I was one week out of a relationship. We were just catching up on life and career when I felt the tug of an insecure freshman getting attention from the prom queen and went in like the auditorium lights were about to turn on. I hadn't felt butterflies in a long time, and I convinced myself that it was okay because technically I was single, but it wasn't okay. There's a grace period after you break up with someone to be alone. It's not just a mental slash emotional health thing, it's a respect thing, but I was thirsty for attention, and I haven't felt desired in a long time. So shortly after Patricia found out I was dating Ms. Totaps, she went into a mental collapse. She was seeing a trauma coach who was also a friend of mine, and the trauma coach broke confidentiality because she was concerned about Patricia. She thought she would harm herself, and Patricia came to a session highly medicated and could barely speak. I didn't know what to do. I was being pulled in so many directions. My therapist recommended I draw strong boundaries and stay away, but of course, I'm human, And um, I wasn't sure if Patricia was really in trouble or if she exaggerated her state because she knew her trauma coach would inform me. People aren't themselves when they are hurt. 
Hence the popular saying, her people, her people, right? Her friends called me and told me I needed to go see her to make sure she's okay. I tried to explain to them that I work with breakups all the time. And the best thing for me to do is to draw healthy boundaries. They thought I was a piece of shit and that I was hiding behind the letters after my name. Looking back, I don't blame them. Uh, in a way, I was. I was thinking with a wrong head. I didn't want to lose toe taps. I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to date the prom queen. But that, but that wasn't going well either. And uh, she questioned if I really wanted to be with her or not. Even though, I, even though it would be understandable that someone two weeks out of a three-year relationship with an ex who may hurt herself would struggle being present with someone new, but she didn't see it that way. All she saw was that, or all she saw was what she felt, and what she felt was someone who was not choosing her. The truth was I wasn't in a place to choose anyone, not even myself. I came home one night defeated, not just from the emotional tornado I created, but I went over to Toe Tap's apartment to end it. But I couldn't. I mean, I, I, I did. I executed it. I said the words, and for 10 seconds, we were officially over. I should have just left, but I stayed because she started sobbing. Not because the relationship was over, but because she felt like she had failed. She thought we didn't try hard enough. It was a pattern she wanted to break, and she thought with me, she could. I've never had anyone fight for me like this, or us like this, and it wasn't what I was expecting. Every breakup I've ever been through, there was total acceptance from the other side. No fight, no holding on, no refusal to accept the answer. No, don't worry, we'll find a way. By the way, that's from Bruce Springsteen. And I think one of the sexiest lines ever. Um, there was just sadness. My first girlfriend didn't fight us, uh, fight for us. My ex-wife didn't fight for us. Uh, and Patricia didn't fight for us. She let me go, and I went. And I realized in that moment that it was what I needed. Someone to finally say, no, you're not going anywhere. We're going to work on this. And it made me feel valuable, seen, and desired. But also a twist in the story, a break in pattern. It was a reminder to not be do as I, to not be a do as I say, not as I do therapist. One of my greatest fears in life. It was a chance for me to redeem myself for not working on the relationship with Patricia. So we decided to give it a second shot. A fair one with an honest effort and both looking at our own shit. She felt safe. I felt desired. She reminded me it was a chance to give ourselves a new corrective love experience. Something I write about often. The next day I was a new man. Slept hard, up early. I heard Patricia checking into a treatment center. This meant she was safe. Now I could give this new relationship a fair shot. I was ready to roll my sleeves up and do the work, as they say. I literally wore sleeves that day, something I rarely wear. And yes, they were rolled up. The subconscious is a powerful thing. I had a session with Love Thomas that morning. The timing was perfect. I didn't have to feel like a fraud today. I was now staying in a relationship and working through the turbulence like I help my clients do, do as I say and do. I secretly wanted to tell Love that during our session, I think I was proud of myself. And yes, therapists care what their clients think of them too. We're human. We just pretend we're not. I can't do this anymore was the first thing that came out of her mouth. I wasn't sure if she was talking about therapy or her relationship with Spencer. But before I could ask, she holds up a shiny men's Rolex. What's that, I ask? He slipped it in my bag. Who? 
this guy, I didn't even get his name. We were sitting next to each other on a plane. Okay, we were flirting. We had crazy sexual chemistry. It's not like I was going to do anything. He went to the, be- uh, the restroom and told me to follow him, but I didn't, I swear. Unlike me, she was defeated and done. I was never attracted to Spencer, she confessed. There it is, I said it. It was a comfort thing, a timing thing, a safety thing. As a therapist, you're supposed to meet your client where they're at. You're not supposed to sway them with their decisions. Instead, you fully accept, not influence or control. But I was so disappointed. I spent the last six months helping her and Spencer work through their issues independently so they could build a healthy, sustainable relationship. I was invested in this. I was rooting for them. And now she's done? Just like that? After having some attraction to someone on a plane? We're attracted to people all the time, right? It doesn't mean you should end your relationship. As I was reminding her, I was thinking about how quickly I ended my relationship and got into something else because I had some attraction to someone. I felt like a hypocrite. I've been in toxic relationships my entire life. She defended herself. Spencer represented healthy. He was, he was what was prescribed, and I needed to take my medicine. This is all coming from her, she said, right? And in that moment, something strange happened. The word prescribed hit me sideways. Everything went into slow motion as I played back the last three months with toe taps in a quick montage sequence. The guilt I had for dating someone too soon suddenly turned into a slap in the face. I had a revelation that hit me like the ending of The Sixth Sense. Okay, so montage sequence. Toe taps telling me, I should fire my hairstylist because he went too short on the sides. Activating for me, obviously, another hair comment. Frustrated that I got a haircut right before I was supposed to go to Hawaii with her to meet her family for the first time. Confessing to me that every time I walk into the front door, she tells herself, yeah, look at him, he's handsome. But playing it back this time, the confession felt different. It wasn't a compliment. It was like she was trying to convince herself that I was handsome. Another scene, telling me she didn't feel safe because I didn't stick up for her when she believed Patricia with a fake account was calling her a whore on social media. And even though I messaged Patricia to stop, it wasn't enough. And then finally, another scene I played back, me telling her early on when we were just friends how great and kinky my sex with Patricia was and how her uh, screaming was scream whispering Fuck that pussy in my right ear. After I tried to end the relationship on that mountain hike in Hawaii, well, that scene played, but I'm realizing now that that wasn't about her being turned on. It was about her competing. Hey, wanted to share with you something I'm super excited about. If you go to theangrytherapist.com forward slash premium, you not only get commercial-free episodes, but also something I'm introducing called series, rotating wellness topics, but not only lessons, but what do we do with this information? How do we thread this into our life so we could change our life? Go to theangrytherapist.com forward slash premium. Love Thompson and Toe Taps had toxic in common. By the way, if you're not following this story, <laughs> Love and Spencer are my clients. Toe Taps was the girl that I started dating way too soon after my breakup with Patricia. Okay, both have only been in abusive relationships. 
I met Totaps at a relationship workshop where I spoke about healthy and unhealthy relationships and the power of choice. How we will continue to gravitate toward unhealthy unless we break the pattern and actively make a different choice. I even used the word prescribed. So the slap in the face was that Totaps wasn't attracted to me. This was my revelation, my uh, what I call my sixth sense moment. She was attracted to the idea of me. I represented healthy. I was the medicine she needed to take in order to break her pattern of being in abusive relationships. I was her ticket out. And then the last montage I saw was um, Totaps telling me I need to grow some emotion. I was too stoic. You're not my therapist, she would say. But now playing it back, she wasn't expressing her needs. She was trying to break me. Get mad, do something, she would always say. I did nothing but stayed calm, and it drove her absolutely crazy. We all have parts of ourselves that are wounded, unhealed, including myself. And we pull from those parts in our relationships if we are not aware. In this case, her wounded self, the part of her that wasn't healed from previous abusive relationships, since she, kept, since she kept jumping from one bad relationship to another, did not want to be in a healthy relationship, right? This is kind of what was happening underneath her subconscious. Her wounded self was used to chaos, not calm, and needed me to be reactive, break, throw a chair or something, be abusive in some way. When she was sobbing on the couch because she felt like she had quote-unquote failed, she didn't fail at making this work. She failed at breaking me. This was the big revelation, right? When you play something back and you see something in, with new insight. The problem was I was in the middle of a session when I had this revelation, so, to make it near, so it made it nearly impossible to focus on love and her wounds. I sat there like I was listening, but was spinning, thinking about my own relationship. By the way, um, therapists do this. I'm sorry. We don't try to do this. We try to stay very present, but of course we have our own activated stories, and um, we can drift at times. John, do you need to pee, she asked? No, I'm sorry. Uh, it looks like you got to pee. We can take a break. No, I just feel a little nauseous. That's it. Maybe I ate something. Go to the restroom, John, she demanded. Therapy is all about making the subconscious conscious, unearthing what's happening underneath that we may not be aware of, Right. It's this new insight that gives us fresh revelations and changes how we see something. In this shift, there is growth, a new understanding about the situation itself. These are the breakthroughs, why we leave therapy rooms lighter and, of course, why we schedule more sessions. Therapy isn't just about expressing your feelings. It's about seeing truth, what's really happening. But the thing is, you never know when these revelations will come. We just create the space for them to happen. And sometimes it can take many conversations and other times just one activating word like prescribed. I felt it in my throat. I felt my throat closing. <laughs> I couldn't breathe. It became difficult to just like, I felt uh, the world closing in. And I excused myself and stood up trying to take deep breaths. People started looking because I do my therapy uh, sessions in coffee shops. Oh my God, John, are you okay, she asked. And right there in a public coffee shop, I had a full-blown panic attack. 
It was the first and only one I've ever had in my life. There was no slow build. It just hit really hard. Many of my clients suffer from panic attacks, and I always tried to be empathetic, but never really understood what they were truly going through until now. Finally, I got it. It literally feels like you're dying, but not like a slow death. Like you have months, it feels like you're being buried alive. It's happening right now. There's no warning. I thought about what I tell my clients to do. Take deep breaths, engage in your senses, identify and describe objects around you, ground yourself, challenge your negative thoughts, and do progressive muscle relaxation, whatever the fuck that means. And I wanted to punch myself in the face. It was 9 a.m. on a Monday morning, and I was completely blindsided. So, or actually, so was Spencer. Love broke up with him that weekend over text. Spencer didn't just lose his girlfriend, he lost his best friend. Actually, his only friend. Once they got together, he slowly lost his friends and made no effort to make new ones since he was moving. And no, technically, he didn't pack up and move his life for her because he always wanted to live on the West Coast since he had Baywatch posters over his bed. But he kind of did. He was thinking palm trees, Los Angeles, not bridges, San Francisco. Anyway, his first response to her when she broke up with him was, I'll work out more. He knew she liked abs. They got into an argument after watching Fight Club when they were friends once, and she convinced him that there are women who are also obsessed with abs, just like men are obsessed with asses, but assured him it wasn't his dad bod. He didn't understand. Why did she want out? She said what everyone else says when they're afraid, to, when they're afraid of confrontation. You deserve better. And he did, at the very least, an in-person conversation, right? She had her stuff out of the apartment while he was out of town for his cousin's wedding. And one could easily assume it was the sale of her startup. Seven figures on the way to your bank can get anyone to shake their life edge a sketch. But she's not like that. That's what he would tell herself. That's what he would tell himself. Bullshit. Success is a real thing and it can pay. And it can set off any relationship. The guy on the plane... That wasn't, just, that wasn't just about sexual chemistry. He was a business broker, sold companies like hers for a living. And I've seen it happen many times when opportunities you never thought you had or could collide with your growing beliefs in self-worth, it can directly ripple into the relationship and change the dynamics, hence changing feelings. In this case, magnify what's already there or not there. Magnets can flip pretty fast. It doesn't make people shitty. It makes people real. It wasn't solely why love left, but it was all part of it. There are always layers to every breakup. Also, she said herself in session, I want washboard abs. So sue me. She wanted to be attracted to the person she chose to love. She felt she deserved that. Safe and healthy wasn't enough anymore, especially now. And she felt guilty about it. But it was her truth. And if we didn't start with that, there would be no growth and no understanding of self. I also broke up with toe taps via text. Wait, actually, that's not true. I texted her about the panic attack and that I had at the coffee shop. 
but she couldn't talk on the phone at the moment, so I just gave her broad strokes, no details. Just enough to know that it was because of us. She didn't text me back for three hours, and when she did, it was, I don't feel safe with you. Not, are you okay? Would you like me to come over after we work out, after, my, after the workout so we can talk? I'm sorry, I, I didn't respond. I got mugged and they, they stole my purse and the police just now recovered my phone. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Just one simple sentence. Anyway, that sentence never came. And it was right then when I realized this roller coaster has no ending and I need, need to get off. Not just for me, but for her as well. So those um, are today's breakup stories. And uh, they come from my brand new book, Break Through Your Breakup, which I'm working on now and won't be out till 2024. But I wanted to kind of give you a, a sneak peek. Um, I also wanted to just um, read a little bit about what's really happening, right? Like what really happened. And um, I added this piece because a lot of times we think breakups are about something um, that we're just like focusing on the surface, but there's stuff happening underneath. And and that's where you really learn and grow. That's where you could connect dots. I mean, that's why you go to therapy, right? Many don't have closure from their breakup because they never discover what really happened. With an honest investigation through fresh lenses, you're left with fog, rumination. Or I'm sorry, without an honest investigation through fresh, fresh lenses, you're left with fog, rumination, and overthinking. Gaining clarity about what truly happened allows for the processing of emotions associated with the breakup. Truth validate feelings provides a sense of understanding and helps you navigate through the stages of grief. Basically, you won't think you're crazy. You will be in a better state of acceptance. So without acceptance, they say there are three sides. Okay, let me, let me start over. Um, they say there are three sides to every story. Your side, their side, and the truth. Most only know their side. When we play back our relationships, our memories and perceptions are subjective and can be influenced by various factors such as emotions, biases, and personal interpretations. Memory is not a perfect recording of the past. I want to read that again because I want you to remember this. Memory is not a perfect recording of the past, right? There's this distortion. Our recollections can be colored by our current mindset and emotions, leading to potential distortions and gaps in our understanding. We tell the story we want to hear based on our own story and how we're wired, the conscious or unconscious choice to amplify and minimize certain events. A good example of this is people in abusive relationships. If you've been friends with anyone who is in an abusive relationship, what do they usually do? I mean, at least in the beginning, right? They minimize the abuse um, highlight the good times. They say that uh, he or she is changing. We may remember certain events more vividly while forgetting or downplaying others. This is why our exes many times have very different recollections or interpretations of what happened. But more importantly, there's what happened on the surface. He cheated, she drifted, 
He gave up. She stayed, even though she didn't love. She didn't love her or want to. And then, what was really happening underneath? The why, right? The driving forth, the truth, the driving force. This is a key that unlocks the understanding needed to get closure and finally break through. It's the heart ointment needed to heal, or we're just peeling scabs. Without this understanding, we are left with twisted stories, which leads to confusion, anger, and resentment. The room to internalize what happened, blaming ourselves, and feeling we are less than or defective because the relationship didn't work. We believe it was our fault, and sometimes it is. But even if it was, if we know where our feelings, behavior comes from, what's happening underneath, there is more compassion, understanding, letting go, and moving through. So on the surface, he cheated, right? What's happening underneath? Low self-esteem. I'm giving you examples. Uh, Low self-esteem and a constant need to be desired gets him to act out. On the surface, she drifted. What's happening underneath? When they moved in together, her fear of intimacy caused her to love from a distance and emotionally check out. On the surface, he gave up. What's happening underneath? His deep core belief that he's not lovable, developed from his childhood, causes him not to try when things get hard. And finally, on the surface, she stayed in it even though she didn't love her or want to. What's happening underneath? Her fear of abandonment keeps her in relationships she didn't want, she doesn't want to be in. Those are just random examples. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the stories and I hope you got something out of the lesson after the stories. And before I leave, just a quick reminder that... Um, if you want these episodes ad-free, um, plus four bon- bonus episodes a month, um, I have The Angry Therapist Premium. Just go to theangrytherapist.com forward slash premium. Thank you for listening. Be well.